I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. The date, October 20th, 1967. The filmmakers were Roger Patterson and Robert Bob Gimlin. And what they filmed? Well, it's been called the Holy Grail of Bigfoot footage. At only 59 and a half seconds long, this film has been analyzed and scrutinized as much as the Zapruder film. It's been 50 years since this film was shot, and it's still argued over just as much today as it was back then. Is it real? Is that really a Bigfoot? Was it a hoax? Who planned the hoax? Who was in the costume? And more. Now, the footage, known as the Patterson-Gimlin film, was filmed along Bluff Creek, a tributary of the Klamath River, or Klamath River, I don't know, about 25 logging road miles northwest of Orleans, California, in Humboldt County. It's just south of a north-running segment of the creek, informally known as the Bowling Alley. Now, contrary to some beliefs, Patterson was an avid Bigfoot enthusiast. He went out time and time again for years talking to people about Bigfoot sightings and where he should go to find one. He even started a low-budget film about Bigfoot, but ran out of money. He was in it for the fame and fortune as much as he was in it for the science and discovery. It's known that Patterson traveled down to Los Angeles numerous times before the infamous Bigfoot footage was shot. So it is possible he hired someone to make a Bigfoot costume or purchase one from a prop maker in Hollywood, but we'll get back to that in a second. Even though I'll go through a couple of the ways that the footage could be faked or who helped in faking it, it should be noticed that Patterson, who died of cancer in 1972, maintained right to the end that the creature on film was real. And at this point, he'd actually sold the rights to it, so it didn't bode anything for him to say it at that point. He could have said it was a fake at that point and still made money off of it. Now, Gimlin, on the other hand, mostly avoided publicly discussing the subject from at least the early 1970s until about 2005, except for three appearances. When he began giving interviews and appearing at Bigfoot conferences, he said that he really didn't believe in Bigfoot when they went out that October day, but said he agreed to Patterson's insistence that they should not shoot the creature if and when they found him. Was this because Patterson wanted to keep the rare and elusive Bigfoot from harm? Or was he just wanting to make sure that whoever was in that Bigfoot costume didn't accidentally get murdered by Gimlin? But now on to that day. Let's travel back 50 years ago in the early afternoon of Friday, October 20th. Patterson and Gimlin were riding northeast upstream on horseback along the east bank of Bluff Creek. At some time between 1.15 and 1.40 p.m., they came to an overturned tree with a large root system at a turn in the creek, almost as high as a car. When they rounded it, there was a log jam that was left over from the flood of 1964, and that's when they spotted the Sasquatch behind it nearly simultaneously. It was either crouching beside the creek to the left or standing there on the opposite bank. Gimlin later described himself as in a mild state of shock at first seeing the creature. Patterson initially estimated its height at six and a half to seven feet tall, and Gimlin's estimate was six foot even. So again, it is possible that there was somebody in that costume. It's not a seven or eight or nine foot tall creature. Six foot is not that hard to come by. Patterson estimated he was about 25 feet away from the creature. He said that his horse reared up and he spent about 20 seconds getting himself down from the saddle, getting his camera from the saddlebag before he could run towards the figure while operating his camera. He yelled, cover me to Gimlin, meaning get the gun out. And Gimlin said he crossed the creek on horseback. Once he got to a position kind of past Patterson and past the creature, he then pulled his rifle out, dismounted, but Gimlin states he did not point the rifle at the creature. The film shows what Patterson and Gimlin claimed was a huge, hairy, bipedal 
ape-like figure with short silvery brown or dark reddish brown, or some even say black hair covering most of its body, including its prominent breasts, leading many to believe that what they caught on film that day was a female Sasquatch. The Bigfoot had walked away from them to a distance of about 120 feet before Patterson began to run after it. This is when the film was shot as Patterson was running. It's initially quite shaky until he gets about 80 feet from the figure. At that point, the Bigfoot walking away glances over its right shoulder at Patterson and he fell to his knees. Now to researcher John Green, Patterson would later characterize the creature's expression as, quote, one of contempt and disgust. You know how it is when the umpire tells you one more word and you're out of the game? That's the way it felt, unquote. And I think that's the shot that everybody has seen. That one photo of the Bigfoot looking over its shoulder, you can see its breasts, you can see the, the gait of the Bigfoot, the way it's swinging its arms. That is the classic Bigfoot of the Patterson-Gimlin film. Shortly after this point, the steady middle portion of the film begins, containing the famous look back, what we were talking about, in frame 352. Patterson said it turned a total of, I think, three times. The other times, therefore, being before the filming or while he was running with his finger off the, the camera trigger. Now, shortly after glancing over its shoulder on film, the creature disappears behind a grove of trees for 14 seconds, then reappears in the film's final 15 seconds after Patterson moved 10 feet to a better vantage point. Then it fades in the trees, then it fades into the trees, not to be seen again, at a distance of about 265 feet as the reel of film ran out. Gimlin remounted and followed it on horseback, keeping his distance until it disappeared around a bend in the road 300 yards away. Patterson called him back at that point, feeling vulnerable on foot without a rifle because he feared the creature's mate might approach. The entire encounter lasted less than about two minutes. Now let's talk about that one for a second. So Gimlin, the skeptic, followed it around a bend 300 yards away. So if Gimlin was telling the truth, he had nothing to do with the hoax, which it seems like that's true. He followed a guy in a suit, at the very least, he followed a guy in a suit 300 yards. Some guy wearing a huge ape costume 300 yards around a bend until it came out of view. That seems very unlikely to me. Now, if we believe that Gimlin wasn't part of this, if it was just Patterson and who was ever in the suit, that's pretty shocking. That leads me to believe that it was a real creature because you think that anybody that was in a suit trying to get away from him would just immediately duck or immediately get out of the way and not expect Patterson, or I'm sorry, not expect Gimlin to chase after it. You would think that Patterson would tell him, whoa, 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 stop right there and not let Gimlin go around the bend to see the guy in the suit running away or hiding. But back to that day. Next, Gimlin and Patterson rounded up Patterson's horse, which had run off in the opposite direction downstream before the filming began. Patterson got his second roll of film from his saddlebag and he filmed the tracks. Then the men tracked Patty, as they called the Bigfoot, for either one mile or three miles, but lost it in heavy undergrowth. So again, guy in a suit, 300 yards away, he's gotten away, but they both get on their horse and track it for either a mile or three miles, even if it's just one mile. That's a guy in a suit running away, making tracks for a full mile. So it wasn't just a pair of shoes that were kind of big. It would have to have the Bigfoot feet on the bottom of the shoes. Again, leading me to believe if Gimlin wasn't part of it, it seems very unlikely that it was a guy in a suit. They then went to their campsite three miles south, picked up plaster, returned to the initial site, 
measured the creature's step length and made two plaster casts, one each of the best quality right and left prints. Patterson had the film developed as soon as possible, as soon as they got back. At first, he thought he had proof of Bigfoot's existence and really expected scientists to accept it, but only a few scientists were willing to even look at the film. It did go on to make Patterson money, though, through showings on the BBC and also during the Thanksgiving holiday of 1974. CBS aired Mysterious Monsters, a documentary about the Loch Ness Monster and on Bigfoot. The show attracted 60 million viewers, making it the highest-rated program of the week. This show included footage from the Patterson-Gimlin film and brought Patterson to fame. Patterson was interviewed on Merv Griffin and on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, as well as numerous news channels. Gimlin didn't. He only briefly helped to promote the film and then avoided discussing his Bigfoot encounter publicly for many years, even turning down requests for interviews. He later reported that he avoided publicity after Patterson and promoter Al Diatli had broken their agreement to pay him a one-third share of any profits generated by the film. Another factor was that his wife objected to publicity. Years later, Patterson and Gimlin both agreed that they should have tried to shoot the creature, both for financial gain and to silence the naysayers. And you have to admit, sadly, that a dead body is way more convincing than grainy footage. Today, that's the only thing that's going to stop this is Bigfoot real or is it fake, is sadly a body. I really hope it never comes to that. I really hope that no hunter kills a Bigfoot just so we can say for sure that it's real. If they are out there, and if they are real, and I personally believe that Sasquatch are real, they're very endangered, and they do way better without human interaction. Even though this film has been seen by nearly everyone, there was a second roll of film that was shot just after the encounter. The second reel, showing Patterson and Gimlin making and displaying the plaster cast that we talked about, has subsequently been lost. Some say it went off to the BBC and was never returned. Some say Diatli still has a copy of it, but what is he waiting for at this point? At this point, any more footage would be more money. Now let's get back to the hoax theory. In a 1999 telephone interview with television producer Chris Packham for the BBC's The X Creatures, Gimlin said that for some time, quote, I was totally convinced no one could fool me. And of course, I'm an older man now. And I think there could have been a possibility of a hoax, but it would have been really well planned by Roger Patterson, end quotes. So again, if Gimlin wasn't in on this at all, if he's not the greatest actor ever, and he's not making a lot of money from this, so I don't see his gain to lie about it. If he was 100% innocent, and Patterson planned this whole thing with a guy that we'll talk about in a minute in a monkey suit, this guy in the monkey suit went way far and beyond anything that any guy in a monkey suit should have gone for in the woods at that time. So let's talk about it. Who was in the Bigfoot costume? Let's start with Bob Hieronymus. He claims to have been the figure depicted in the Patterson film. Hieronymus says he had not previously publicly discussed his role in the hoax because he had hoped to be paid eventually. He was promised a total of $1,000 to wear the ape suit. And he was afraid of being convicted of fraud had he confessed. After speaking with his lawyer, he was told that since he had not been paid for his involvement in the hoax, he could not be held accountable. And if you do find footage of uh, Bob on YouTube, which there's quite a few of them, he always maintains like, well, you know, it's not illegal. What we did was not illegal. So he keeps talking about that. I'll be honest. I've seen a lot of the Bob Hieronymus reenactments as Bigfoot, and it's shaky at best. I think that Bob Hieronymus did know Patterson. I think that part is true. I think that 
Bob Hieronymus had a monkey suit or a gorilla suit. Don't think he was in the suit during the Patterson-Gimlin film, but that's just my opinion. A month after watching the December 28, 1998 Fox television special, World Greatest Hoaxes, Secrets Finally Revealed, Bob went public. It was during a January 30th press conference by his lawyer, Barry Woodard, in a Yakima newspaper story. He stated, quote, I'm telling the truth. I'm tired after 37 years, unquote. Five days later, a second newspaper story reported that, quote, his lawyer's office has been inundated with calls from the media outlets. We're just sort of waiting for the dust to settle, end quote, explaining that he and his client are evaluating offers. He said, we anticipate that we'll be telling the full story to someone rather quickly. The whole evaluating offers seems like a cash grab to me. Now again, now again, I believe that Bob Hieronymus probably was hired by Patterson for either that failed Bigfoot movie that Patterson was making or something else, but I don't believe he was in the costume. Hieronymus's name was first publicly revealed and his allegations first publicly detailed five years later in Greg Long's book, The Making of Bigfoot, which includes testimony that corroborates Hieronymus's claims. Hieronymus's relatives, his mother and his nephew, claimed to have seen an ape suit in Hieronymus's car. Opal said, that's his mother, Opal, Opal said that she saw the, she saw the suit two days after the film was shot. Russ Bohannon, a longtime friend, says that Hieronymus revealed the hoax privately in about 68 or 69. And Bernard Hammermeister, another longtime friend, said that he was shown an ape suit in Hieronymus's car. No date was given by Long for Hammermeister's observations, though, but it apparently came well after the relative's observations, as implied by the word still in justification. As applied by the word still in the justification Hieronymus gave Hammermeister for requesting his silence. Quote, there was still supposed to be a payola on this thing, and he didn't have it, end quote. So if Bob was in the costume, where the hell did the costume come from? For that, we need to go back to 2002 to Philip Morris, the owner of Morris Costumes. Morris said that he sold an ape suit to Patterson via mail order in 1967, think it was going, thinking that it was going to be used in what Patterson described as, quote, a prank. Ordinarily, the gorilla suits that Morris sold were used for a popular sideshow routine that depicted an attractive woman changing into a gorilla. After the initial sale, Morris said that Patterson telephoned him asking how to make the shoulders more massive and the arms longer. Morris said he suggested that whoever wore this suit should wear football shoulder pads and hold sticks in the hands within the suit. As for the creature's walk, Morris said, The Bigfoot researchers say that no human can walk that way in the film. Oh yes they can. When you're wearing long clown's feet, you can't place the ball of your foot down first. You have to put your foot down flat, otherwise you'll stumble. Another thing, when you put on the gorilla head, you can only turn your head maybe a quarter of the way, and to look behind you, you've got to turn your head, and your shoulders, and your hips. Plus, the shoulder pads in the suit are in the way of the jaw. That's why the Bigfoot turns and looks the way he does in the film. He has to twist his entire upper body. Morris's wife and business partner, Amy, had vouched for her husband and claims, and claims to have helped him frame the suit. Now, Morris offered no evidence apart from his own testimony to support his account, the most conspicuous shortcoming being the absence of a gorilla suit or documentation that would match the detailed evidence in the film and could have been produced in 1967. So if Morris was selling these suits, and he says he was, did he only sell the one suit? Did it only go to Patterson and he just never made another? 
Because if he made another, where are the other ones? Why isn't there a suit exactly like it from 1967 that can be compared to the Patterson-Gimlin film? Why did they have to recreate the suit years later for a television story? Why didn't they have more suits from that time? Speaking of that recreation, it was made and filmed on October 6th, 2004 at, quote, Cow Camp near Rimrock Lake, a location 41 miles west of Yakima. Bigfooter Daniel Perez wrote, National Geographic's producer, Noel Doxter, noted the suit used in the recreation was in no way similar to what was depicted in the Patterson-Gimlin film. Morris could never recreate the suit convincingly and always had excuses as to why when pressed on the matter. Based on the videos I found online, the Bigfoot in the Patterson-Gimlin suit looks similar, but barely similar. I personally don't think it was Morris's suit we see in the film. Now, the suit Morris said he sold to Patterson was the same suit Hieronymus claims to have worn in the Patterson film. However, Hieronymus and Morris describing the different ape suits in many respects. Among the noticeable differences are the suit material. Was the suit made out of horsehide or was it made out of Dynell? Dynell being a synthetic fur. Now, Hieronymus says that he was told by his brother Howard that Patterson claimed he manufactured the suit from horsehide. When Long asked how heavy he was, how heavy the suit was, Bob replied it weighed maybe 20 to 25 pounds. Horsehide would be heavy. Bob also added it stunk. Roger skinned out a dead red horse. But Morris reports that the suit that he made was made of Dynell, that lighter synthetic material with little or no odor. Morris said that it was his standard suit that we sold to all of our customers that cost $435, making it far cheaper than the competition. So right there, he's saying he made numerous suits. Where are the rest of those suits from around the same time? Now, another contrast is that Howard reported that the horsehide was a real dark brown, and Long writes that Morris, quote, was using very light brown Dynell in 1967, but Morris wouldn't have wanted a real dark brown color as he chose brown to contrast against the black background of the girl-to-gorilla illusion suit. Also, another discrepancy between Hieronymus and Morris is the top and trousers versus a back-zipped onesie part of the suit. Hieronymus described the suit as having no metal pieces and an upper, quote, torso part that he donned like pulling on a t-shirt. When asked about the bottom portion, he guessed it was cinched with the drawstring. Problem here is, Morris made a one-piece suit with a metal zipper on the back. Now, there are also other discrepancies, too, the hands and feet being separate or being part of the costume. It is speculated that Patterson modified the costume, but only by attaching Morris's loose hands and feet to the costume and by replacing Morris's mask. However, there is nothing that can be found on suit modification. There is absolutely no evidence or testimony that Patterson changed the Morris suit to horsehide or dyed it to a darker color or cut it in half at the waist. None of this matches Hieronymus's description. Some film proponents say that Hieronymus's arms are too short to match that of the Bigfoot and that he was a few inches shorter than the creature on film, up to 14 inches shorter. But Hieronymus said that he wore football shoulder pads again, like we were talking about, which might explain why the shoulders and arms appear to be out of proportion with the rest of the body. However, Hieronymus disclaimed the use of arm-extending sticks in the costume and said that he, woke, that he, quote, wore gloves a little bit bigger and a little bit longer than my actual hands were, end quote. 
It's also been said that Hieronymus was not as bulky as the creature, but film critics claim that a suit could correct for that and for the height. However, Hieronymus did not mention that there being any padding in the torso, and when questioned, he said that he didn't have any padding in the suit. Many Hollywood experts say that the Bigfoot in the film could be a costume, but it would have been a very expensive costume to create, and far more expensive than the $435 costume that Morris made. Here's where it gets interesting, though. Both Hieronymus and Patterson have passed polygraph tests about their claims. Patterson saying that it was a legit Bigfoot, and Hieronymus claiming he was in the suit. So what do you think? Was that Bob Hieronymus in a cheap ape costume? Does the Patterson-Gimlin film show a real Sasquatch? Do Bigfoot even exist? What do you think? Once again, thank you for listening to Paranormal Almanac, and as always, please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave me a review. While you're online, head on over to our Facebook page, Paranormal Almanac, and click the like button. And if you have a story to send me, send it to me there. If I like your story, I'll tell it on the air, or I'll have you on it, tell it yourself. Once again, this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. My name's Kurt Sambig, and thank you very much.